Hey there. Welcome to Coasters, a mini-series about community and the small stories that define us, taking place on the Sunshine Coast in BC, territory of the Shishel and the Skohomish nations. The story you're about to hear starts off in Gibson's and then heads over to Washington State before making its way back, by way of Toronto, to Gibson's. It's the first story I created for this mini-series. And because there's no editor or other kind of safety net, I purposely chose a story I thought would be low stakes. But it turns out I was probably wrong. I'm curious to know what you think after you listen. All the interviews were conducted pretty much a year ago, for no good reason other than I'm slow and not as good at hustling as I probably should be. And because it's been a year, you'll be able to tell COVID-19 restrictions are still shaping daily life. There's references to hand sanitizer and lockdowns. Anyways, I guess that's a nice thing about not doing news. I'm used to doing news as a community reporter here on the Sunshine Coast. The nice thing about not doing news, I guess, is that stories don't depend on timeliness. Sometimes they're even a little bit better off with more of it. I hope that's the case with this one. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you after the show. Hello. So, I'm in Lower Gibson's. A seaplane flies overhead. Monday, November 22nd. It's raining. It's raining. Oh my god, it's a lovely little house. I'm excited. Really well-trimmed cedar hedges. I'm walking to Lola Westel's house. Hi, Sophie. Hello. I just used your hand sanitizer. Oh, good. I hope she's going to help me understand something I've been mulling over for the last while. Leave your shoes on. It's cold in here and I don't have floor heating. You see, Lola's world is steeped in books. No, I'll read anything. I mean, people always said of me, oh, you'd sit and read a phone book. And it's kind of true. Lola's lived on the Sunshine Coast since 1968. Guess what the circulation was of the library, the public library, back in 1968. 1968? I don't know. Around 267 subscribers. Okay. So that was pretty good. (laughs) Were you one of them? Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) She was a bookstore manager, president of the Gibson's Museum and Archives Society. She's even received a shout-out in a book documenting the history of the Sunshine Coast. Rosella Leslie, is that? Yeah, I think I have a copy of her book here. Yeah. For a time, she lived on boats, including a giant tugboat she bought from Bruno Gerussi, the star of the Beachcombers television series, which was filmed in Gibson's for two decades. He was a great guy, lots of fun, lots of parties at his house. (laughs) Through it all, Lola was reading. When she lived on a boat, she sent away for books using the provincial library's mail order system. These days, she's also begun using little free libraries. You know, I think I was visiting a friend down at Soames, and there was one, I think it was on Point Road. And I stopped and I looked at it and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And it had little things saying, take a book, leave a book. So um, I think I took a book. And then as I noticed them pop up, I you know, try to make an effort just to stop to see what's happening, just because you want to support that kind of thing. It's, it's like kids with a Kool-Aid stand. You want to give them the dime, you know, or guess a dollar or whatever it costs now. Lola gets up from the dining room table where we're talking. Just a sec. Oh, I'll be right back. Okay. And she pulls out a handful of books destined for her neighborhood book exchange, including a technical book. 
And this one is Medals in the Service of Man. You know, the kind of book you see at little free libraries and wonder who in God's name would ever read it. It's all about medals, how they're obtained and worked and what they're used for. That person would be Lola. And my dad did a little bit of metal work. And so I thought, gee, I should learn more about that. And I did. It's this abundant zest for the written word that led me to visit Lola and ask that she take me to the Little Free Library in her neighborhood. I want to be there with her as she frequents it, since she frequents it so often, in order to find out where the pleasure comes from. Maybe this will help me understand why book exchanges are enduring, why people have such strong feelings about them, why they're more than the temporary fad I thought they were. Little Free Library is the branded name for what's kind of an ageless practice of taking a book and leaving a book. The idea of building a box, installing it at the end of a driveway, and calling it a Little Free Library came about in the mid-2000s after Todd Bull built one in Wisconsin in memory of his mom. It became super popular in Todd's neighborhood, and it led Todd to found the nonprofit Little Free Library. Todd Bull died in 2018, but the nonprofit continues to flourish with 150,000 LFLs registered in more than 100 countries. There's actually an important distinction between Little Free Library as an organization and the generic term book exchange. And I'll get to that. But for now, I'm using the names interchangeably. On the Sunshine Coast, there's a handful of unofficial Little Free Libraries. But only two are registered. One is located on Glassford Road in Gibsons. The other is at my house. You see, my interest in the Little Free Library phenomenon is also personal. I helped build one for my wife a couple years ago, shortly after we moved into our home. The LFL has a shingled roof. It's painted blue, the same color as our house. My wife, an avid reader who knows about the Little Free Library organization, she paid the $40 to register it as an official LFL. We even had a ribbon-cutting ceremony. I'm not going to lie. Once it was installed at the foot of our driveway, I felt pretty damn smug about the thing. I felt like our house suddenly had status in the neighborhood. We joked it added to our curb appeal. Its presence exuded this promise that people would know us as the kind of neighbors who do good things. It felt like a real Ned Flanders moment. But then some friends visited after we installed it. And one of them mentioned in passing that one of her friends, a librarian, actually finds the things kind of objectionable. So I got defensive. People sometimes call book exchanges birdhouses for books. Why would anyone have a problem with a birdhouse for books? What the hell is wrong with people, I thought? Can nothing be benign anymore? It rubbed me the wrong way, like criticizing people who feed birds. Or hating on Ned Flanders, like, they're harmless, why bother? So I started asking around. Another librarian I know wasn't thrilled about little free libraries either. So I got worried. Did I unwittingly install a permanent fixture in front of our new house that's actually kind of divisive and may in fact be a bit nefarious? Was my Ned Flanders moment really a Mr. Burns moment? It seemed a little far-fetched, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized, at the very least, I'm not even sure if I understand why book exchanges are so popular to begin with. I mean, I've definitely perused them before, but I never make it a goal to visit them, and more often than not, I find the selection a bit underwhelming. More John Grisham than John Steinbeck, if you know what I mean. 
But that's just me. It definitely isn't Lola. I don't really judge like that. I mean, my um, I have a boyfriend, and he reads all those types of books, and so does his mom. And she's 102, and so we're always trying to get her, entice her into a story. Um, so no, I don't. I don't mind any kind of books. You know, I'm not like a snob. I wouldn't look at the selection of books and say, "Hmm, <laughs> the last time I come to this little library." <laughs> Which is why I thought it a good idea to talk to Lola, frequenter of little free libraries feeder of birdhouses for books. Best to actually go with her, I thought. Go to the book exchange. See what the fuss is about from the perspective of someone who's curious but not snobby. Maybe I'll get a glimpse of something that will ease my fledgling concern that I'm on the wrong side of history. Do you think there's something about you, like in your, you know, your character that makes you, um, yeah, amenable to Little Free Libraries? Makes you the kind of person that, you know, that would go to little free libraries, you know? I don't know, just curiosity. I think anybody with any curiosity wants to, uh, you know, stop and check it out, see what it is and uh, what they can do to make it better or improve it or help or at least stay out of their ha- out of their way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think everybody's pretty curious. I would argue not everybody's curious. I've yeah. heard some people describe them as garbage cans. Oh, that's sad. No, 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 <laughs> no. No, that's not right. <laughs> Sounds like it's the opposite for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love going to the dentist just because they used to have so many good books around to read, you know. like, <laughs> And I've had a lot of work done on my teeth. <laughs> COVID has stopped all that, so we need little libraries to, <laughs> you know, give us something to read. <laughs> who, who would have thought? Little libraries for a place dentist office. <laughs> right. <laughs> Waiting room, the hospital. They, you know, they used to have books everywhere, and now you... Wherever you have to go in the waiting rooms, none of them have books. So <laughs> get your Kindle or go to the nearest little library and grab a book, you know. <laughs> well, I wonder if that's what we should do right now. What do you think? Sure, yeah, let's do it. We won't let the rain stop us. Oh, is it raining? Well, I drove in the rain, but I'm, I'd actually Now, there are other ways to answer the questions of why book exchanges are popular and why people feel so strongly about them, besides stalking Lola as she goes about her daily business. I figured that out as I began taking a closer look at the LFL organization's website. The organization bills itself not simply as a nonprofit, but as a movement. The world's largest book-sharing movement. Every movement has its disciples. And I found two of them on the LFL website. I'm Trina Wiswell. I'm from Tacoma, Washington. I'm Dan Wiswell. I'm again born and raised in Tacoma, and uh, I live the same place Trina does. Dan and Trina are salt-of-the-earth people. They've lived in Washington State their entire lives. Dan recently built an LFL with a Superman theme for kids. Trina took up painting kindness rocks during the pandemic. Trina has won awards as a trainer with a transit company. Dan is retired and takes meticulous care of their garden and their LFL. And in their spare time, Dan and Trina book bomb Little Free Libraries. They book bomb a lot of Little Free Libraries. Uh, As of this morning, uh, 2544 is the current count and 15.5 thousand books. Let that number sink in. That's 2,544 libraries visited and 15.5 thousand books donated across 11 states and one Canadian province. And that was about a year ago. 
Since then, they've added more than 500 more libraries to their roster. No, there's one girl in, in Rhode Island that's done a thousand libraries. There's probably a half a dozen uh, people that have booked on 200 libraries. And then there's us. Yeah, we we're, are, we're we are an the anomaly. exception. If Dan and Trina are the exception in the world of book bombing, book bombers are the exception in the world of book exchanges. Rather than drop by an LFL on a neighborhood walk all casual-like, book bombers purposely seek out book exchanges to fill with books, all stealthy-like. Think flash mob for little free libraries. So, as Dan and Trina said, at more than 3,000 LFLs book bombed and counting, they are the exception. The couple started book bombing in 2018, a couple of years after they installed a little free library at their house. They'd been on a Little Free Library Steward's Facebook page and heard about book bombing. Trina was traveling for business, so they decided to make a trip of it. So we took a very small bag of books and didn't know what we were doing, and we went to one library in Kennewick. That was it. From there, uh, we did a, a quick road trip for a wedding from here to Las Vegas, and we book bombed like 10 libraries, um, and then we did a couple in Vegas, um, and we were hooked. And it grew from there. In the first year, they traveled to Bellingham, Victoria, Nanaimo, and Tofino, book-bombing 76 libraries along the way. They used to buy all the books themselves, but now their reputation has grown to the point that people donate books. They've got a collection of 3,000 books stored away in milk crates. Dan jokes their spare room is a library with a bed in it. And there's even some in the garage and under the house, and I've got four boxes in my car right now. Yeah, so... So Yeah, it's ridiculous. Dan, he's also a numbers guy. And he's gone deep with statistics. Like a citizen scientist of the LFL universe, he diligently documents his observations in the wild. I have statistical analysis of everything we've done. Like, how many libraries match the house? 532 out of 3,137 libraries visited. I mean, everything that we've done that I could quantify, I've done. It's true. They visited 56 libraries in front of churches, 51 in front of elementary schools, and 86 at parks. Out of 3,137 visited, 49 were upcycled newspaper dispensers. For the Doctor Who fans out there, 17 LFLs were TARDIS-themed. Dr. Seuss-themed libraries, meanwhile, beat out Harry Potter-themed libraries 12 to 6. And if you think you're original by building a book exchange to look like a British phone booth, don't kid yourself. Dan's found at least nine of you out there. We joke, we joke, um, we're um, Little Free Library amateur photographers, we're Little Free Library models because we're always standing next to them, we're Little Free Library historians, evaluators, evaluators, judges, whatever, you know. (laughs) To put all of this another way, Dan and Trina are committed to the Little Free Library movement, and they're just beginning. 10,000 libraries, 50,000 books donated over 20 years. You heard that right. Dan and Trina plan to visit 10,000 Little Free Libraries and donate 50,000 books. And they're committing 20 years of their lives to get it done. And that's why, in 2021, the LFL organization gave Dan and Trina a Todd H. Bowl Award for Outstanding Achievement, which is how I discovered them on the website. And it brings me back to the question that originally drove me to reach out to them. Why are these things so darn popular? Why do people feel so strongly about them? I put the question to Dan and Trina, and when I did, I made what I thought was the obvious assumption, 
They love book bombing, and they love little free libraries, because they love the written word. But here, the plot thickens. This gets funny. Uh, neither of us are really readers at all. I mean, I'll read a little bit, but I'm not a, like, I won't sit, I'd rather do something like with my hands or in the garden. I, and or... I've probably read more, no. I've read more than Trina has, yeah. probably. I mean, I'll read things, but I, I'm, at, I'm in front of a computer and I'm working and I'm writing stuff and I'm reading things for work all day long, you know, or teaching things. It's not what I want to do when I, I get done with work. I honestly don't believe we could do what we've done if we were readers because we get lost in the forest for the trees. Trying to look at every they would single look book. At every title. Well, what book what, is this? You know, what, have I read that and all of that stuff? Yeah. We, what we, is this about? We, you know, <laughs> so there you have it. Top book bombers have very little time for reading actual books. Sounds kind of absurd, doesn't it? I'm sure I could inject some on-point literary reference here about irony, but the truth is, I'm not much of a reader myself. I will also say, especially to the stewards group, the Facebook page that has 12,000 people, we are the exception. We are not the rule. Most people that build libraries, the number one reason why is they're avid readers. They were elementary school teachers. They were librarians. Um, The love of books, the love of sharing books. The second reason is community and giving to community. And the third reason is us. We just like libraries. That's it. No, it we, just... and we like. I'm cutting Trina off for a second here. Sorry, Trina. I'll get back to the important point she's about to make in a second. Because reflecting on their revelation made me realize something. Despite what Dan says, I'm not so sure that Little Free Library love is really about the love of literacy when it comes right down to it. Even for Lola the Bookworm back in Gibson's. Even for those teachers and librarians on the Little Free Library Stewards Facebook page. If it was simply that people love to promote literacy or just love to read and share books, they'd join a local literacy organization, tutor children after school, or, you know, do what we did before LFLs went viral and visit an actual library. To be sure, installing a Little Free Library or visiting one or contributing to one, it checks those boxes. But it's not like book lovers have been in a state of suspended animation, waiting for the LFL movement to appear so they could finally have a cause into which they could funnel their book-loving energy. Something else has got to be going on here. At least that's my hunch. And this is where Trina's point comes in. That's it. No, it we, just, and we like, we like meeting and community, people. And community in, in that. But we just... Traveling yeah. and donating books and yeah. curating... I love getting, I like getting the books and looking at the books yeah. and seeing what I get. And I'm Organized. like, oh, look at this. We got, the, you know, this is neat. Travel, community, doing good, the satisfaction of sorting through thousands of books destined for LFLs. It's those other less direct benefits that must drive this movement. And actually, a couple of academic studies point to community building as a typical motivation of library stewards, including one conducted in BC in 2015 and another one done in Washington State in 2019. I mean, it makes sense. Just look at Dan and Trina. As stewards and book bombers, they've made long-lasting friendships, close connections to neighbors. They've gained recognition, and they're doing it in service of the greater good. The reward's worth everything. It yeah, re- honestly, I would even be- interactions with small children and families and and like older folks, there's people with disabilities. We've got a guy that comes by. He likes magazines. He likes people magazines. And when we put those out, he writes in our guest book how much he likes them. It takes him 15 minutes to write a thank you note. 
but he takes the time to do it because it means that much to him. And that's what makes it worthwhile. But there's even more to it. Dan hinted at it at the start of the interview. My standard line is why I'm retired is I married really well. (laughs) Truth of the matter is I'm disabled. um, And what we do helps with my disability. Um, It's mental health related. And having a purpose, a positive focus, uh, giving to my community helps me maintain my, uh, my standard of health. Dan is diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 1. He was diagnosed in 1999 when he was attending university. Dan struggles with mania. He takes projects too seriously, he says. And he's worked for the past 22 years to manage his symptoms and make the most of life. And that's why for Dan, book bombing is so much more than a simple diversion. Um, And this fun little thing and hobby that we've developed is probably the most positive thing that I can do because I have interactions with my neighbor and my library myself. Uh, We have interactions with other stewards as we go book bombing, and I'm able to give to my community. That's pretty big at this point. So yeah, having a positive uh, forward focus is, is one of the best things that you can do. What Dan and Trina taught me was that little free libraries whether you own them, or frequent them, or book bomb them. They're about way, way more than books. So you know how I said I got defensive and worried after learning that a friend of a friend, a librarian, had a problem with little free libraries? Well, it turns out, She's not alone. All of this goodwill LFLs evoke. Well, that's not the entire story, at least to some. I really want everyone to understand that I that I'm I I, I still have one, right? <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Um, like you still have a a little free library. Yeah, it's not branded anymore. I took the sign off of it. We'll get to that part of the story, I think. Right, okay. but um, uh, but you still so, have one outside of your house. Yeah, no, it's still standing. Yeah. <laughs> still standing but there are absolutely no like david baldacci's and no tom clancy's oh it's full of them (laughs) that's jane schmidt an academic librarian based in toronto she's talking about her own little free library which she well her husband installed outside their home in scarborough so that arrived in about august 2016 i think it was and my dear husband got got out there with a shovel dug a hole literally (laughs) dug a hole we have photos and installed it on uh, the front lawn and then sort of the research uh took off from there she didn't install it because she's a hardcore lfl fan she's an academic librarian so naturally she installed it for research purposes to immerse herself in the world of lfls Jane told me she doesn't see owning a little free library as a bad thing because she's getting out in front of criticism that's been leveled against her since her research was published in 2017. Criticism that she's a book exchange hater. That 2017 research paper is why I want to speak to Jane, because she's been on the dark side of the little free library love affair. After the paper was published, she found herself on the receiving end of a lot of anger. As recently as just before lockdown, I got a piece of hate mail, um, physical hate mail at, at, in, at my office, right, with 
someone saying again that, that you're you're a terrible human being i'm not even lying <laughs> jane became interested in studying the lfl movement during her sabbatical after she noticed lfls popping up in affluent areas of toronto she used research funds to purchase an lfl from the organization's website very very privileged as, as being a faculty member um at the university and i i, I always make sure that that is noted, that I understand that that is um, a privilege that, that, that I have. And she joined the organization's official stewards Facebook page. She also teamed up with a GIS specialist named Jordan Hale. By all accounts, the mid-2000s were a tough time for libraries in Canada. Jane actually posted on the LFL Facebook page about plans in Newfoundland to close half the province's libraries, and she urged stewards to sign a petition against the budget cuts. In Toronto, city councillors were actively debating whether to cut back on library services and close some of the branches in the city for good. Those citizens do not want to see cuts to city services. They do not want to see cuts to the library service. Thank you. Any questions? Even Canadian literature royalty Margaret Atwood was tweeting about it. When you're shutting one, you're actually shutting down that community and disenfranchising people. Help save Toronto Public Libraries. Go to ourpubliclibrary.to to sign a petition and learn more. It, it felt very raw in that moment in time, right? Like to feel that public libraries were actively under attack by the municipality, the people who fund them. And then to see an organization like this uh, saying, hey, look what we're doing. We're providing, you know, all of this access to books and we're enhancing literacy. Earlier... I said I was using the terms little free library and book exchange interchangeably. Well, this is where the difference really starts to matter. The paper, published in the Journal of Radical Librarianship, leveled a critique of the little free library as a brand. The paper argued the organization is an example of, excuse the jargon, the nonprofit industrial complex and represents the, in quotes, corporatization of literary philanthropy. Basically, okay. why the brand? Why'd we have to go there, right? <laughs> why capitalism, right? <laughs> it was just a, yeah, it was a very, very um, business-centric approach to things, right? Like it was, it was a really old concept that everybody knows and understands, and it just kind of got turned into a brand, right? By invoking the idea of the nonprofit industrial complex, the paper suggests that Turning the Little Free Library concept into an organization means it becomes corporatized. It's actually a relatively common critique that gets leveled against the nonprofit sector. Rather than allow the movement to grow organically, resources now have to be funneled into all this extraneous stuff like administrative work, grant funding, fundraising, and marketing. The name Little Free Library is turned into a legal trademark. It starts to look a lot less like grassroots activism and a lot less like a library. The values of libraries are free, free of uh, corporatization, free of branding, free to share, open, right? Like that's really what we espouse. And um, it just really ran counter to that. Jane and Jordan also conducted an analysis of two cities, Calgary and Toronto. And they found the LFLs are predominantly located in wealthier, whiter neighborhoods and in relatively close proximity to libraries. They saw this as a kind of hypocrisy. If LFLs are supposed to be watering book deserts, as the website claims, 
Why are a preponderance of them located in neighborhoods you might call literacy oases? What's more, and what felt like a bit of a personal gut punch when I read it, the article argues LFLs can be seen as examples of performative activism. People install them so they can be seen as bookish community do-gooders while avoiding the mucky, strenuous work it takes to make any meaningful difference in their communities. The article says LFLs are, in quotes, a highly visible form of self-gratification cleverly disguised as a book aid. Ouch. Mr. Burns' moment, indeed. By the end of her research, Jane decided she'd had enough. She took the placard off her little free library and wrote to the organization, explaining why she chose against affiliating her book exchange with the brand. I wrote to the board of directors. You know, that letter is public. And I got a very, like, thank you for your letter. We'll take this under consideration. And that's the last I ever heard from them. But their position is still publicly that librarians and teachers love us. Well, not all of them do. (laughs) I think I demonstrated that. If you want to read the article in full, it's free to access on the journal website, and it's in the show notes. Seeing as I live in Gibsons, in a very white neighborhood, I should add, I also asked the head librarian at the official Gibsons Public Library about the whole thing. So my name is Heather Evans Cullen, and I'm the library director at the Gibsons and District Public Library located on the unceded territory of the Squamish Nation in Gibsons. She said she sympathizes with Jane and Jordan's paper, And she also sees opportunities for book exchanges and libraries to coexist harmoniously. You know, I certainly think they have a role to play. I think that the role they play on the coast is very positive. I know in other communities, they they can sometimes get into a bit of a, a conflict with the role of public libraries, but I don't see that here. I think it's just sort of a, a quaint neighbor exchange. And I have nothing but, you know, good things to say about people making any effort to exchange books with each other. That's fantastic. But I certainly also would say just as strongly, I would never want people to think that's a replacement to the kind of services a library provides. And it certainly doesn't deal with the literacy challenges of our more marginalized uh, community members. So, you know, as long as those boundaries are clear, I'm all for it. Anyways, when the article came out in 2017, it reverberated across the librarian verse in a good way, says Jane. It was well received at a couple of conferences. But things changed shortly after Jane and Jordan got an email from a journalist working for a popular publication in the U.S. called City Lab. The journalist had found the paper and wrote a story about it. And when it got published, the panic set in. And I remember being on my phone and (laughs) it got published. I remember I was sitting beside a colleague and I went, holy shit, Sonny. And he was like, what? And I passed him my phone. I was like, look what's happened. (laughs) Went, oh my God, right? What happened? What happened? The, well, the story was just published, and I think that there were already comments on it that were outrage, outrage. Like there was just so we generated so much outrage by this piece, right? Other media picked up the paper, including CBC's As It Happens and the Toronto Star. The media coverage kept coming. So did the anger. Um, I got emails. I got emails from someone who told me that I was a terrible human being who uh, had too much time on their hands and um, I should spend my energy better on my community sort of thing. Founder Todd Bull even went on to As It Happens to defend the organization. He actually agreed with Jane that little free libraries do appear in wealthier enclaves. 
But, he said, as the idea starts expanding, LFLs pop up in higher-needs neighborhoods, too. He also said that the organization runs a program that supplies book boxes to marginalized communities. To this day, the paper still resonates. It actually hit TikTok not that long ago. This is what I mean, Sophie. Like, it is still... There's some Gen Z girl found our paper somewhere and they did a TikTok about it, right? Then I found this article in the Journal of Radical Librarianship, which is a takedown of Little Free Libraries. They argue that Little Free Libraries are a part of the nonprofit industrial complex. And it's not all haters. A couple summers ago, renowned sociologist Tressie McMillan Cottom got in on it after a police department in Minnesota said books were being stolen from little free libraries in their town, which, as an aside and as hypocritical as that sounds, does happen more often than you might think. Anyways, she tweeted, I confess that even I thought the LFL critics were predicting too dire a future, but here we are, cops called in to defend the boundaries of free trash that's designed to make people feel charitable without being actually charitable. Yeah, that's an ouch. And the paper continues to be referenced by other academics. As for the outrage, Jane thinks a lot of it comes from people kind of missing the point. And at least one bad headline. Against little free libraries, that was the headline, right? And the byline was, these little these librarians really hate little free libraries. And I was like, oh, dude, really? Like, that's not our thesis at all, right? Like, it's not, you know... <laughs> Like, I think that we even conclude it by saying, like, to be clear, you know, we we don't, we're not telling you to not have these things, right? We're just asking people to question the, the necessity of a brand. So, but that got missed, right? So everybody just loved that narrative of here's some librarians who are have full of sour grapes who just really hate these things. And they think that they're Anti-library better. Anti-library librarians. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, like, why do you hate books, right? <laughs> so, The paper's conclusion does say there's, in quotes, fundamental flaws in how the organization pursues its goals. But they also offer practical suggestions for how they could increase its impact. As for my own little free quandary, I'll admit, after reading the piece, I felt even more defensive about having a registered LFL on our property. But part of me also felt like the paper had nailed something. Like, a while back, my wife and I ran into some new neighbors. We identified our house as the one with the little free library out front. And boom. Instant praise. Instant camaraderie. They said we were doing good work. How important it was. It was almost embarrassing. All we did was stick a box at the foot of our driveway that's now full of David Baldacci, James Patterson, and Jody Pico. I told Jane about these mixed feelings, and she repeated her stance that she doesn't want people to feel like they can't build them. Go ahead, do it, fine. I don't see why you want to brand it, but sure, go ahead, right? Like, again, what are you getting out of that that part of it? I don't, I don't understand that inclination at all. But I do understand why people want to, because people are very passionate and personal about books. But I do just invite people to think about what's happening in your neighborhood in terms of actual literacy, in terms of actual access to information. Do people in your neighborhood have equitable access to information, whether it's books, whether it's internet access, whether it's um, space for them to be in? And that's where the public library is that incredibly important institution. I just invite people to look wider, look bigger to see and make sure that that part is taken care of, because that's that's to me the really important part. You know, 
rich folks, wealthy folks, uh, privileged folks, they're always going to have access to books. Ultimately, I can't help but sympathize with Jane's paper. It reminds me of the mid-2000s, when social media was exploding and suddenly this new term seemed to be appearing everywhere. The blogger, the citizen journalist. With social media, anyone could publish and distribute a story. It felt like a threat to a lot of journalists and a lot of outlets. I can't help but look at little free libraries, generic ones or registered ones, and see the makings of an equivalency. It seems so far-fetched, of course, to think that LFLs could ever really threaten libraries. But I don't think it's at all a bad idea to consider how they fit together. It's something that Heather, the head librarian at the Gibson's Public Library, brought up. It's unfortunate, but we as librarians feel somewhat defensive of our fields, and we feel we have a, a need to kind of educate the public. Not that not everybody needs to be educated. Some people know what we do. But I can see why hackles get raised a little bit, simply because we are so much more than books, for one. What makes libraries special, she said, is the values that build them. They protect intellectual freedom. They have something to offend everyone. They are open to everyone. They are concrete structures that ensure each person who walks through their doors has equal access to knowledge in its many forms. We pay taxes to fund them. They're not private. They're not corporate. They can even be a physical respite from inequity. A couple summers ago, during BC's lethal heat wave, the Gibson's Library was one of the only public air-conditioned escapes for people in the community. The day I spoke with Heather, she had processed more than 40 forms for people without access to the internet or printers. Bloggers and accredited journalists can sometimes be the same thing, but often they aren't. And the same thing goes for libraries and book exchanges. Maybe it's so obvious that it risks being trivial. Trivial, maybe, until we forget to see the difference. And this brings me back to my conversation with Dan and Trina. These two, who see LFLs as way more than books, are thinking critically about how LFLs fit into their community but they're coming at it from a different place altogether. The impact of their hobby or passion project really hit home at the end of the interview, after I asked them a question that the insensitive voyeur in me had to ask. People might look at that and say, that's just, it's ridiculous. Like, or that's kind of, I'm, that's kind of kooky, you know, Mm -hmm. or that's like, I've got a, I've got a great, it's not reasonable. I've got a great, what what do you say to people like that? I've got a great conclusion to this. Um, there's a quote, uh, in a book. Hey, I read a book, uh, from, (laughs) from Gretchen. He did read a book. (laughs) From, uh, Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project. Um, and it's paraphrased. A good relationship has an indoor activity and an outdoor activity. That you do together. That you do together. So I will layer on to the Gretchen Rubin quote, and this is, this is your answer to your question. In order to take your relationship to a, the next level, you need to find something that you can do together in which you're giving to others. That's, that's the crux of it for us. Probably when things really changed was our trip to Vancouver Island. Um, there's, a, there's a steward on Vancouver Island, and we didn't. nobody knew really who we were. We were probably... Six months into it? And probably less than 200 libraries visited at that point and mm-hmm. goes, uh, you're coming to dinner at our house and opened their home to us and had a library 
And she happened to work for transit and was retired transit. So Trina and I connected. They had the same sense of humor as us. They've and become, she's still our friend she's now. She's still our friend now. And she booked bombs with her 80-year-old dad. They walk around Victoria. In, in Victoria. That's why we do this. Mm-hmm. Books are the vehicle for us to share time doing good. That's it. That's what it all, all comes down to. Yep. For Dan and Trina... As far as I can tell, book bombing isn't just a positive forward focus. Book bombing, the little free library movement, the whole thing. It isn't about the love of books, the love of travel, or the love of community. It's about love itself. I'd have to say that if 2022 is anything, it's a time when opinions come fast and loose. The era of polarization is talons deep in our psyches. It's burning us from the inside out. In some ways, Jane and Dan and Trina sit on opposite ends of a spectrum in an era where even sharing books can't just be a benign thing anymore. That would probably be to the chagrin of LFL founder Todd Bowl. In 2015, he had lofty hopes for LFLs. He saw them as a means of unifying society. He said, in quotes, The political right likes us, and the left likes us. How do you say no to reading? As a populace, we are upset we are getting pushed apart when we want to come together. That's what little free libraries do. For many, little free libraries are just a thing you pass on your way to checking the mail. To others, they symbolize all that's wrong with neoliberalism. To others still, they're the meaning of life. In the end, they're just inanimate objects. They're little inanimate objects into which we pour our big values. We can read into them anything we like. I'm back in the car with Lola, and we're driving to her neighborhood little free library in Gibson's. That's so awesome. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) It's jam-packed with books. It's jam-packed. There's a lot of books it in here. Is. Yeah. It's not a registered little free library. It's, even, it's got a title, Granny's Wee Library. Yeah, isn't that lovely? We take a few minutes to check out the selection. Pilot's Wife, I'll take that one too. Do you know it? No, I don't. Oprah does. She recommends it. Well, if it's an Oprah book club pick. Lola takes some books. Yeah, I'll slip that one into my little bag of goodies. She leaves some books. We'll leave this one, do we, the uh, small town library cat. Do you think that's a worthy trade? I do. Medals in the service of man. Remember, my goal with Lola was to live through her vicariously, figure out why LFLs are a movement and not a fad. To do that, I figured best to introduce her to the owner of her favorite neighborhood book exchange. I'll have to figure out how to open out the gate. So we're entering the mystery residence. <laughs> we get to the porch, and we meet Sue. I was wondering, is this your little library here? Yes. Okay, I'm Lola, and this is Sophie. And you're oh, Sue? Uh, I'm Sue. Hi, Sue. Sophie. Yes. <laughs> what a miserable day, isn't it? Yeah. After some pleasantries, I ask Sue how often she interacts with her neighbors through the book exchange. Well, this sort of weather, not often. <laughs> but in the summer, you see stuff and chat yes, with people. Yes. And Lola offered another explanation for how LFLs could fit into the book-sharing universe. 
Kind of, you mentioned, we, Lola, when we were talking, mentioned them as kind of um, like supplementing what's at the library and kind of an auxiliary um, community-based, um, I well, don't know. I guess it allows people to experiment, doesn't it? Because mm -hmm. you look what's in there. And yeah. Some weeks there's nothing of interest, and then you'll Sometimes find you something. you don't want the librarian to know what book you're taking out, yeah. you know. Well, <laughs> well there's, there's so many, you know, the shelves in the library there that if you're not sure what you want to read, That's I've had people pass by say, oh, nothing good today. Yeah. So it does allow people to expand their reading horizons without easily. That's put, really yeah. Do you still go to the library? Yes. <laughs> so I usually know what I want to read. <laughs> and it's, yeah. After a little more conversation, we say our goodbyes and head back to Lola's house. I don't ask her to reflect on the experience. Maybe I should have. What I decidedly haven't found is that deeper understanding of why these things aren't going away. Instead, I've got the people I met along yeah. the way. All right, take care. Yeah, you too. The same conflicting emotions about my own LFL and maybe a new appreciation for what it means to care about the little things in life. But then I remember something. At the start of this episode, I mentioned Lola is an avid reader. She's also an avid researcher. What I remembered was, ironically, a book, published in 1980 and long at a print. When I first arrived at Lola's house, it was lying on her dining room table, bookmarked and waiting to be read out loud. And the West House Sound story, too, is... Um, its title was The West House Sound Story, 1886 to 1976, written by Francis J. Vanden Weingart. Known locally as Frank. It's not so much the title or the author, but the content that matters here. Tucked into a few paragraphs is a story of Gibson's first library. And with the unearthing of that story, a line finally became a circle. In a few paragraphs, Frank describes how in 1914, a group of farmers applied to participate in BC's Rural Lending Library Service. The application was approved, and that paved the way for the first library. My heart leapt a little when Lola read the part about the library itself. The library books, incidentally, came in a wooden box with a hinged lid and were kept in use at one place for a certain length of time and then replaced by a different set. And that's like from Victoria, the library would exchange out the books. Do you think that it was like, um, like, a, like it was a box with hinges? Yeah, it was like a trunk, I think. Yeah, and uh, you just lift it up and put the books in, probably had a shelving somehow in there. And, how they did, you know, on the cruising ship suitcases or trunks that they traveled with. And, uh, yeah, and it, it went around to different people's houses. I thought that was interesting, too. Oh, where's the library? They said, oh, I would try Sophie. I think it's over at her place, you know. Oh, no, try up this way, I think, you know. So it was really neat the way they all just played together and, you know, helped each other out. So there you have it. The first library in Gibson's established more than a century ago, was basically a birdhouse for books, built not only out of love for books, but out of love for something bigger than any one person. So yeah, there's a lot of history here in Gibson's. And these people, of course, are all working together to do things like getting a library for all the, all the people here. They're very community-minded folk, you know, which um, I guess most people are still today. <laughs> what this means, at least for me, is that this 21st century cultural phenomenon 
is rooted in something deep. Something so deep that it's propelled people in Gibsons for a hundred years to keep a place for people to take and leave books and in so doing, build a little community. All right, folks. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by me, Sophie Woodruff. Sean Eckford, Brittany Dugan, and Lorna Richards provided story assistance. Music by Blue Dot Sessions and James Bowers. You can check out James's other fantastic arrangement on Bandcamp. His website is in the show notes. He's also my neighbor and totally a great guy, so thanks, James. Podcast artwork and website assistance by the ridiculously talented Laura Service. Thank you, Laura. Special thanks to Lola Westall, Sue Armstrong, Heather Evans-Cullen, Trina and Dan Wiswell, and Jane Schmidt. And to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening this far. It kind of blows my mind. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did like what you heard and are up for helping more people listen, please do what all good book lovers do and share and recommend what you like. Share this with your librarian friends and enthusiasts. Share this episode with the little free library steward in your life. Share it with the bibliophile you work with. Share it on social media. If you are the bookish type and you actually hate talking to people, I get it. Another fantastic option is to rate and review this episode. It's super easy. Just go into whatever you use, whatever app, throw a five-star rating on there. I'm not going to tell you what to rate, but five-star is great even better say why you like it it helps the show grow well write how you like it don't just say it to your phone but anyways you know what i mean a couple more episodes are still in the offing and i'll be sending updates out via twitter or instagram assuming twitter still exists at coasters underscore pod and if you haven't already you can subscribe to this miniseries wherever you listen to podcasts If you want details about the show, including all the amazing people who assist with it, as well as links to subscribe, check out the website coasterspodcast.com. Until next time, thank you. Thank you for listening. And happy reading and or book bombing.